You're listening to Get Informed America, the only true unfiltered show that's fighting fake news and finding common ground. Now, here's your hosts, Dave Oakenquist and Rodney Johnson. Hello and welcome to Get Informed America, where we break through the mainstream media box to bring you real smart news. Hi, I'm Dave Oakenquist. Joining me is the smartest man I know and the editor of Informed American, Mr. Rodney Johnson. Rodney, how are you today? Very good, Dave. How are you? I am great, Rodney. I've done so much preparation for this show. I'm overflowing. I normally keep these things on a PowerPoint slide deck, and now it's you know slide 1,000. I got so much stuff to get to today. So let me let me quickly give you the rundown, Rodney, of all our topics and all of you listening. Uh, here we go. When will households get their relief checks? With the Senate pa- or the Congress passed a 2.2 trillion dollar bill. So when are we going to get our money? We'll talk about that. We got news from China. New news from China about the coronavirus. Question uh, for everybody. Oil and gas are cheap, but are they too cheap? And then we go to America gives their opinion, uh, grabbing some polling data, as we have been over the last few weeks. Always great to see uh, where public sentiment is tipping. Question again, should the U.S. temporarily ban exports of medical supplies? Can't wait to get into that. Rodney, we've got some good news, maybe. There's some good things happening in the world besides this crazy pandemic. And we have everyone's favorite, the rapid fire segment, the stupid things uh, we found in the Internet uh, over the past week. So, Rodney, let's get into it. First topic, when will households get the relief payments. Uh, Of course, I mentioned that $2.2 trillion bill. And we have an answer here for those who get uh, direct deposit, who normally file uh, with the IRS uh, and get their their refunds through direct deposit. That will begin the week of April 13th. But for those who opt instead for paper checks, Rodney, it, it apparently can take as much as 20 weeks, which brings us to the end of August. This is not a rapid fire relief effort if it's going to take that long. I mean, especially for people who have lost their jobs, right? Right. And the hold up, of course, is that the government can only get so many checks out. The number I read was 20 million a month. That's a lot of checks, right? Yeah. Uh, But there are roughly 240 million adults uh, out there. And so if you have a fair number of those that are getting checks, you can see how it's this mixture of people who uh, do and don't file uh, their taxes electronically. Keep in mind, only about 50 million Americans pay, and, or I'm sorry, 50 million Americans don't pay federal taxes, 50 million American workers. And so there's a large chunk of people out there who either aren't required to file federal taxes or file a very minimal return where they don't owe anything, so they wouldn't have that banking touch to the federal government. Uh, but those are the people at the end, right? The people at the beginning are going to see the money flow in a couple of weeks. And I'm interested because it includes people on Social Security. Now, that's, a, that's an interesting point, Dave, because people on Social Security earned that benefit. It's not something that's given to them their entitlement. I hate those words. They were required to pay into it for all their working years, and so now they get money out. Yeah. But that money hasn't stopped flowing because of the coronavirus. And yet we're sending people who get Social Security an extra 1200 bucks a piece it's one of those things that makes you go, hmm, right? It's kind of that broad thing where we're kind of sending money all over the place and uh, not asking a lot of questions. 
So in terms of say these, maybe well, we got about 10 million people over the last two weeks in jobless claims. And we had the uh, payroll report uh, that yeah. came out this morning, 700,000 jobs lost off the payroll. I mean, I think what you're getting at here is that money should be going prioritizing maybe to them. But instead, since we're doing this broad swath, it's going to go to people who presumably aren't working um, and they're just going to get a little bit of extra money in their check. And they probably have some sort of a direct deposit by now too, right? So they could be getting it even faster, potentially than someone who lost their job and uh, is waiting for their paper check until the, at the end of August. Right. And I have, I have nothing against people receiving social security. Like right. I said, right. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not beaten on that. What I'm looking at is, wait a second. If you're not affected by the virus in terms of lower income, lowering your income, then why are we sending money and looking at people who receive social security? It seems like a clear group whose cash flow, that particular cash flow, maybe they are in other things that got affected, I get that, but this particular cash flow of Social Security is not being diminished by coronavirus, and yet we're going to send an awful lot of money out the door. And so I highlight it because people are going to get money. Um, I, I have wondered for some time once this was announced, will the bulk of it be caught up in some red tape, not get out the door as fast as you need it to? People who need to pay rent two days ago aren't going to have the money that they were relying on for that. And, you know, then you got your car payment, your shoot along payment, you know, insurance, food, all the things. If you're one of the 10 million that filed for unemployment, this is pretty tough. And by the way, 10 million over the last two weeks filed, a lot of people cannot get through. They just physically can't make the connection to their unemployment office in their state because the unemployment offices are overrun. This is, uh, in terms of solutions, this is, as you said, uh, a sledgehammer, right? (laughs) When we need a scalpel. When you would want at least a little more of a scalpel. And that's, that's the problem with every large government program is there's a lot that goes out the door where afterwards you're looking at it and thinking, did it have to be that way, right? Did it have to be that way? Yeah, well, we are a massive country with a lot of different problems and a lot of moving parts. Very difficult to uh, get this thing to all work smoothly. All right, let's move on to the China news. Um, I don't know if you you came, I'm assuming, Rodney, you came across this and uh, all of you watching, uh, I, also, I did a video on this for our, on our Facebook page for all of you uh, who follow us. And uh, this was about uh, the UK and the United States government coming out, uh, telling everyone that China, they don't believe any of the numbers coming out of China, either infected cases or deaths. There was a story from Bloomberg, uh, China concealed the extent of the virus outbreak, US intelligence officials say, quoting, not quoting, but getting uh, two separate officials saying the numbers are just plain fake. Uh, and then a story from Business Insider where uh, Boris Johnson, who actually himself is, uh, is still under self-quarantine with the coronavirus, it says that they could, uh, China could have as many as 40 times the number of coronavirus cases uh, that they're reporting. And uh, the cabinet office minister was, uh, or, uh, yeah, was saying that basically, look, they lied about the extent of it. They lied about the, the transmission in the early stages. And we just really can't believe what they say. However, Rodney, uh, yesterday, the Canadian health minister said there's no indication that the data that came out of China in terms of, of infection rate and their death rate was falsified in any way. Uh, you'll note that China has bought a lot of real estate uh, in Canada. I don't, I'm not asking you to comment on that, <laughs> Rodney. But what do you think, first of all, of this idea that, I mean, I don't think you're going to be, very, you, you're not shocked at all that the UK and the, the United States governments are accusing China of covering up the numbers, are you? <laughs> I, who believes numbers out of China on really anything, right? I mean, 
right? Because, and I don't say that there's a bunch of bad actors. I, I say that they're so wild. Hold on, I'll tell you who believes him is the Canadian health minister. That's who believes him. No, no, he said there's no reason not to. He didn't say there was a reason to. Ah, you're not looking hard enough. The point is. Their culture is so bound up in pleasing the person above you, right? If you're a local political guy running a county, you are required to show GDP growth. And if you don't, you get dinged for that. And so you do whatever you can in your local area to make growth grow. And then you got the county up to the province, and the provinces are supposed to show growth. And if they don't, they get deemed by the national government. And then the national government, everybody there wants to please the top guy. And so it's this constant thing of hiding bad news and inflating good news so that the system continues to show well, no matter what the facts are on the ground. And so, you know, you and I have been doing this a long time. We don't believe their economic numbers. There's zero reason to believe any of their health numbers. Um, And so when you get the number of deaths that appears to be wildly out of line with their infection rate, like they're showing seven, eight percent deaths there in the Wuhan province, whereas everybody else, you know, in Italy, where you have a very old, very frail male population with respiratory issues is showing four to five percent. It's really tough to believe that a lot of the young people in China are scumming this, which means their infection rate is wildly higher than they told. And so I don't know if somebody's surprised by that. They've been living somewhere under a rock that the Chinese would lie about this in official numbers. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to me, it's not the lying by itself, you know, so long that it doesn't affect us. But now the point where these numbers we could have learned earlier, you know, the rest of the world could have uh, prepared a little bit better and learned uh, some of the more, you know, how without them not, you know, holding back. That's when it it starts affecting me. That's when I get angry. Uh, Second point on China news, Rodney, China puts an entire county on lockdown. This is Jia County, which is a population of about 600,000. No one can get in or out of the county without proper authorization. And uh, residents are not allowed to leave their homes uh, unless it's for work or have clearance to do so. Question here is, is this that boomerang or second wave effect that uh, everyone's been talking about and really been kind of scared about where you kind of think it's over and then it, then it ends up coming back? Well, I mean, is it, is it boomerang or is it just, you know, a resurgence? And it's not really the same thing. Boomerang is back to the original population. China is a country of 1.1 billion people. And so to say that they were able to kind of clamp it down in one area, but then it shows up in another, is not terribly surprising because it's so big. And I have seen some reports of people bringing it into China from other countries, which again, is not surprising uh, because it is traveling around the world at, you know, not a rapid rate, but it is traveling. And so the resurgence, I think, is going to be perhaps midsummer, certainly next fall. That's when the Chinese need to really be concerned, as everybody does, right? If you haven't taken precautions or we haven't found a therapeutic for it by then. And so I'm not surprised at all. And guess what? I don't believe the numbers coming out of that county or province either. Okay. So we'll just, we're just left here just flailing. So something, something's happening in China. We don't know exactly what. It's basically exactly. <laughs> Uh, Ronnie, you follow the the energy industry quite a bit, and um, I'm sure everyone has noticed that gasoline has gotten very, very cheap, even in uh, in high higher price states. It means around me, I'm seeing it in the 170s, maybe even a couple of spots in the in the high 160s, and of course, oil got down to about uh, twenty dollars a barrel before rallying yesterday after the, maybe this sort of price war going on between Russia and Saudi Arabia may have cooled. But uh, what, what does this mean? First of all, you know, maybe what, what's, what's going on in the, energy, in the energy markets, Rodney, and what does this mean for American producers? 
Well, it's supply and demand, right? And so on the supply side, I think a lot of people know this, so I'll go over it quickly. Um, the Saudis uh, had a deal with OPEC, and they made a deal with a large group controlled by Russia. It's called OPEC Plus altogether. Back in 2016, they said, hey, we're going to lower production so that we can keep the prices a little bit higher. But the Americans didn't do it because the Americans aren't part of all that. So the Americans kept pumping. Yeah. Well, I got this year, and the Saudis told the Russians, we might need to cut production by another 600,000 barrels. And the Russians said, we're not feeling it. And so then we got into February with demand falling like a rock as people, you know, clamped down on their economies for the coronavirus. And the Saudis said to the Russians, we need to cut production by 1.5 million barrels a day. The Russians said no. The Saudis got mad and said, okay, fine. We're just going to we're going to pump everything. And so they said, this is, you know, late February by that time. They said on April 1, we're going to start pumping as much as we can, near 13 million barrels a day. That's an increase of four and a half million barrels a day from what they were pumping. Now, the world uses about 100 million barrels a day. So just the Saudis were going to increase supply by 4.5%. The Russians also said they would start pumping more. Well, that increases it by another percent and a half or so. So you're looking at around 6% extra supply as world demand dropped like a rock. And so everybody's looking at it and thinking, what in the world are they doing? Well, they're talking about each other, but they're looking at the Americans. Because over the last year, the Americans became the largest producer of oil and gas on the planet. And so the Saudis are mad and the Russians are mad because they were holding production down for four years. The Americans kept pumping and took market share. And so this is, yeah, they're mad at each other, but it's about driving some American energy producers to bankruptcy. And it's working. Oil didn't drop to 20. Oil dropped to $19 and something. That is cheap. Lowest in 18, 19 years. Oil is cheaper than it was, or at least at that level, cheaper than it was in 1972 before the oil embargo. And in the world of geometrically linked returns, which is a weird thing, but you gotta, you got to follow this, Oil was over $60 a barrel in January. Oil was recently at $20 a barrel. It jumped 25% yesterday, but it could still increase 100% from where it is, go from 25 to 50, and it would still be almost 20% less than it was in January. And so oil is ridiculously low in price. If it doesn't come back with a vengeance, meaning up to 40-something dollars a barrel soon, which would be an 80% jump from here, then you're going to see a lot of energy producers in West Texas and up in North Dakota go under, which is exactly what the Saudis and the Russians want. Now, you and I get cheaper gas for that. We get to drive around when we get to drive around. We get to pay a lower price for gas. We also get lower price for natural gas. And so, you know, we're going to have cheap energy in terms of electrical generation for a while. But it comes at the cost of putting under the, uh, the oil patch. And so is that worth it? I mean, uh, from an American standpoint, I'd like to see some protection. Uh, but I, I know I've gone on a while. But the last thing on this is the president is meeting with Saudi Arabia and perhaps talking to others. Do we join a collective setting prices and lowering production? That's cartel stuff. That's monopoly stuff. That's against the law in the United States. And yet we're looking perhaps at doing that with a major model. So, so maybe like a, just an, another version of OPEC essentially, right? But bigger involving the United States and Russia, that would be very interesting to do that. But because then it's, it's, when does that demand come back? I mean, you're in a global depression. And as you said, yeah, it's cheap to drive, but 
most people aren't driving anywhere because they're, they're working from home or unfortunately they've lost their jobs. I mean, um, my wife's working from home. I work from home. We've got two cars. We go out, take the dog out, come back. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't use a lot of gas. I mean, so, I mean, I, the next time I'm going to fill up might be a couple of weeks. Well, there's days that we don't drive at all. There are two or three days in a row where we just don't drive. We got, you know, nowhere to go. Right. And so uh, everybody's in the same boat. And so it's a question, of course, of when economies kind of open back up, which looks to be uh, a rolling thing. The Chinese are opening back up. Uh, I don't know when other economies are going to do it, but Italy appears to be kind of at the forefront of this. And New York is a couple of weeks behind them, should be peaking uh, around the middle of April. The rest of the nation tends to be, I think, somewhere around uh, early May in terms of the number of infections and deaths. And so perhaps we got another month, month and a half of this before we're opening up in you know, a big way. But even then, it's not going to open up to where it was. It's not going to immediately jump back to demand of where it was. And this is the important part. Even if demand immediately went back to 100 million barrels a day, and it's not right now. Right now, it's down around 82, 83 million. And so we've cut off essentially the same amount of oil that China uses every day has been, you know, chopped off. Even if we went right back to 100 million, the Saudis and the Russians have still added an extra 6% on top of that. And so we are awash in oil. There's nowhere to keep it. And so I, unless there's some sort of agreement, this is going to last for a while. And when you say join a group like OPEC, no, no, it's joining OPEC. It's making an agreement with OPEC. We wouldn't do it with the Russians, but we would make an agreement, I think, with Saudi Arabia. Absolutely strange times, Rodney. Yeah. All right, let's move on where America gives their opinion. Let's take a look at uh, Trump's approval rating. We've been tracking this because really because it's been heading up over the last couple of weeks now at uh, 47.7% in the Real Clear Politics average, which is the highest ever. Uh, so at least Americans are feeling, well, good news for Trump, clearly, uh, but Americans at least are, are feeling some confidence in their leadership, which is, I mean, you know, regardless of where you feel, at least that's a good sign, right? Yeah, and, and you know, you're seeing somebody on television, presidential, every day with a briefing. I mean, he's still Trump. He still says some things that, you know, kind of outside the bounds. Um, but it's not the political stuff so often, right? And the shots he's taken recently, everybody's looking at it and going, yeah, what were Schumer and Pelosi doing? You got Gavin Newsom saying he's been helpful. You got, you know, Governor Cuomo in New York saying he and the U federal government has been helpful. Why can't we all say that? You know, as somebody posted online the other day, you know you're rotten when you can't even acknowledge good things. So come on already. Uh, he's, he's getting a decent approval rating because federal government looks to be moving the right direction. Yeah, yeah, that's so good news there. All right, let's get into some other stuff from, uh, okay, so we mentioned the, the $2.2 trillion relief package that, that Congress passed and the president signed. Uh, Gallup found that 77% of adults approve, and Raz, for Rasmussen, it was actually even higher, 83%. So it's a big one. I mean, it's, a, it's massive, but uh, people are at least uh, happy with that. Uh, oh, the, I like this one, the toilet paper blame game, Rodney. Only 16% uh, say that they're buying more toilet paper than usual. 82% say they're not. Uh, I know I'm not because I can't find any. So yeah. that's why I'm not buying any more than usual. What do you, what do you think about that? Just 16 would, would you run out and buy more if it was on the shelf? Would you buy five or six of those, you know, 800 packs or whatever they are? I just want, you know, five rolls. That's all. <laughs> I don't need the whole truck. 
<laughs> All I know is if 84% are not buying a lot more than 16%, there must be, you know, a representative in every grocery store around the nation because I haven't been to a store yet where that particular aisle isn't empty. And I mean, we, we haven't stocked up. I mean, I don't understand it. Toilet paper is cheap to make. It's expensive to store because it's really bulky and it is cheap to sell. It doesn't have a huge profit margin. And so the stores, I don't know about where you are, but over here, grocery stores have posted big signs that say, we're not taking it back. Because I would imagine people who are buying it who think they're going to sell it at some exorbitant price later, if, if they can't, they just think they're going to walk back to the grocery store with a receipt and 800 rolls of toilet paper and say, here, have it back. And the stores aren't having any of it because they got nowhere to put it. No. You're stuck with it. You get to use it for two years, find a place for it because, uh, yeah, there's no, it's gone. Now you told me that we're, we, we were going to get some ramped up production and not to worry that it was going to end up on the shelf, but uh, it hasn't happened yet. Well, we're, we're getting it back now. And actually you're seeing uh, some stocks uh, kind of fall from grace, Clorox and some others where people had, you know, stocked up on a lot of things. And now the, the hoarding run appears to be getting tired. And so uh, you, you should definitely see that back in very short order. Okay, good. Uh, if not, I'll mail you some. Just, you, you just ask. I'll, I'll shoot it over. You'll have to make up because it's expensive. <laughs> and uh, put a couple of masks in that package as well. So, um, there you go. Okay. Ronnie, I'd like to get your thought on this one. Uh, on a tra- an interstate travel ban, 67% are in favor of that. And actually, I am as well. What do you think about that? I'm not in favor of that. I, I understand the reason for it. I understand people wanting to slow the transmission of the virus. Um, I'm one of those libertarian people where I am not interested in any larger effect or footprint of the government than is required. And I don't think that's required. I think if you make it um, the penalty for bad acts bigger, it's better than the, the strong arm of the government coming in. And so if you tell people, look, if you end up being a person that spreads this and you have traveled interstate without very good cause, you're, you're a healthcare professional, something else like that, then you're going to pay X fine. And, and I, I'm all about that. Make it the personal responsibility piece that if you do it, you're going to have to bear the burden. But I really don't want the government in front of that. Okay. Yeah. I can respect that opinion. Uh, to me, I think it's just too hard to track down. So I say ban it for now. Uh, okay. So let's move on here. Now, this one's a little amorphous, um, but it's it, the question I ask, can we survive an indefinite shutdown? Now, of course, indefinite by its very definition <laughs> doesn't give a, a timeline. Uh, 46% say that we can't. I, I find that 36% to be very high because I, I don't indefinite, you know, that, that, that 10 years. No, we can't survive 10 years, <laughs> but it does show a little bit of confidence that people, to me, I guess what, what I want to point out is that even that's, that's a high number because people are like, yeah, even, even something indefinite, we can, we can pull through. What do, what do you think of that? Um, I don't know what people think they would do. I mean, the people who aren't working today, uh, what, and they're online, what do they think they're going to produce down the road that somebody else is going to have enough money to buy? And so if you, if you ended up in a very long, protracted shutdown, what you're then relying on is government 
production or directed production of the essentials for life, right? In terms of food, energy, things like that. And so, because nobody's going to pay their electric bill, I mean, that's going to fall away. So the electric company is going to be bankrupt. And so all the things that you rely on for essential services would fall. So I don't know that we could actually deal with an indefinite uh, economic shutdown. I would, I, I would have to go with no on that. Yeah, I'm 100% with you. <laughs> well, we just don't, we do, we do nothing, we'll be fine. I don't, yeah, that, that number should be zero. <laughs> and if you want to see what that looks like, go to Venezuela. They will show you what an essential economic shutdown looks like. It's not pretty. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, well, I, I would say it was unintentional, but that's not even true either for Venezuela. It was right. <laughs> much intentional. <laughs> All right, we got more here. I, I like this one. This one comes from Gallup, and, it, it, and I want to contrast uh, basically responses about social distancing. And we're talking about responses from mid-March comparing to late March. And uh, here's one, avoiding crowds. Uh, the middle of March, it was 59%, now 93%. Avoiding mass tra- uh, travel and transit, it was just half. Now it's at 89%. Small gatherings, up from 23% to 83%. Avoiding public spaces, only 30% then, now 78% now. And, uh, and then uh, following recommendations to shelter at home, it's a little bit mixed here. Uh, very likely is up, but somewhat likely down, somewhat unlikely down. And then there's a, there's a couple of jerks who are very unlikely. Uh, thankfully, that number is down. They started off at 16%. Were un- said they were unlikely to follow shelter or home directions. Now that number is just 9%. So what I want to highlight here is just America's attitudes and behavior seems to have shifted dramatically in the past two weeks. And I'm sure, uh, you know, not by choice, but uh, at, least, at least it's finally, you know, kind of getting through our heads of what, with the seriousness of what's, what's going on. Well, I mean, you're getting beat on every day. I'm, I'm still of the mind that, um, you know, this is a virus that many people have had and don't know it, and they're already immune to it. And 99 point something percent of people recover from it and are just fine. And so this is still, I mean, I, I go back to my original premise of I think we are doing an incredible amount of things for something that we're going to look back on and ask ourselves, is, is that is that really what we intended? Because this is, this is a huge response for something that's, the numbers still don't show that it is, it is terrible. Because you have to remember 27,000 people or 24,000 people have died from the regular flu this year with another 20,000 expected to die from the flu this year. And we're talking, you know, what, 10, 12,000 have died from coronavirus now. I don't have the number at hand. Um, it has to be more than that, but still, it's a million people infected, and our our death rate is not, you know, ten percent, right. which would be a hundred thousand, and so we're not we're not even even close. And so, anyway, my point is that a lot of people are looking at this and saying, "Hey, wait a second, maybe I don't agree with it," and then they're breaking the social rules. That's the key for me. I'm not going on into big groups or other things. Would I have avoided it? all that much um maybe maybe not certainly i would have uh, kept distance from uh, people who are older people who are already at risk because it makes no sense to put people at risk uh but you know look people going out playing golf people going to a bar or restaurant maybe i wouldn't have avoided that as much but now that we're doing it then we all want to be the best we can as citizens and be good examples for other people and do it right I don't, I don't want people out there saying, oh, I'm just not going to do it and go hugging and spewing all over people. <laughs> and so I'm glad to see people, and I would imagine a lot of people like me who are somewhat, you know, contrarian about this and skeptical, still saying, hey, you know what? Stay within the bounds. If this is what we're going to do right now, let's all do it together. 
Absolutely. Great points, Rodney. Rodney, there's a story out of Forbes by David DeSalvo, and I'd encourage everyone to go check this out. It's, uh, it's a headline, I spent a day in the coronavirus, dr- or, excuse me, yeah, driven feeding frenzy of N95 mask sellers and buyers, and this is what I learned. So he was trying to uh, get, he was trying to deal with brokers and to see what, how hospitals were being able to purchase these supplies. And what he found is that uh, many times, government officials, hospitals, and then uh, we're sort of bidding against each other and it creates, of course, we know these masks used to, you, I think are about a dollar a piece uh, in a typical time and now going as high as seven, eight, nine, ten dollars a piece. Uh, people are afraid of getting price gouged and the market moves so fast that a lot of these agencies and hospitals weren't able to purchase uh, the stuff that they needed. Instead, uh, he alleges at, at the end of the day, by dealing with a broker, that roughly 280 million masks, now it doesn't say N95, just masks, from warehouses around the U.S. had been purchased by foreign buyers and were earmarked to leave the country, according to this one broker. This just happened in one day, Rodney, and we hear stories about the shortages of uh, personal protection equipment in the United States. And here we are seeing having foreign buyers come in and swoop them up only to maybe resell back to us or something. So the question is, should the U.S. temporarily ban exports of medical supplies? What do you think? Yes, that's easy. Okay, let's move on. (laughs) Well, it is for me because you need them. It's a health issue. It's a national pandemic. You shut down the economy. This is this is not a small thing. And so the very first thing you should make sure is that nothing, nothing leaves your shores that you haven't looked through. It doesn't mean we don't send anything out. It means that we essentially make sure that we're watching the flow, right? Because I, I look at other countries that may not have any masks, right? And perhaps we do want to share. Perhaps we want to be good neighbors for the planet. But we should be doing that as a nation because it shouldn't be that New York is having to bid against somebody in wherever uh, across the nation who wants to buy them. It should be that New York has the ability to get what they need. And then we look at our supply and our flow and say, guess what? We do have extra or here's what we can do to make sure we have, you know, meted these out around the world as we need. Now, as a libertarian-minded kind of guy, uh, so in, in this case, you wouldn't say let the, let the market do what it may then. Well, you've got the market and then you've got chaos and control. And if you end up with masks being the determinant of whether or not you have more people infected in an area like New York, that's a hot spot, and then you run out of hospital beds, you have moved to chaos. And that makes no sense to allow such a thing to happen. Well, I agree 100%. I think we should absolutely uh, temporarily ban exports of medical supplies. And I also think we need to develop some sort of better controls in the future. I mean, we should have, I mean, if anything, you know, I'm not the first one to say this, but we should have stockpiles. We should be able to make sure that we can make all these things ourselves and not be one dependent on uh, on foreign sellers and two, let foreign buyers come in and, and, and scoop them up from under us. Uh, absolutely crazy. So I hope something. That, that brings up an interesting point, David. It's one that we shouldn't gloss over. We have stockpiles of a lot of things. We do not have excess capacity of everything because it would be wildly inefficient to have big empty hospitals sitting around that are in perfect running condition and ready to go with the drop of a hat. Nobody's going to do that because it would be a terrible use of of assets, right? Um, When it comes to things like mass and medical equipment, the, the question we're all asking ourselves is, well, why don't we have this? It's like, well, who expects 
that the entire world or most of the world is going to be asking for this at the same time. And that's become the thing, right? When you have a natural disaster, you have an earthquake, you have a flood, you have a tornado, you have a hurricane, other countries send people. We had the Japanese come here when we had hurricanes a couple of years ago in 2017, Harvey and everything, and they come to help, right? But if every nation had a flood at the same time, what would happen? And so that's, we're, we're dealing with a global thing where everybody wants supply of something like masks at the same time. And so I think we got to kind of look at this from a bigger perspective and say, do we really want a global supply that is huge enough to satisfy everyone at the same time with all these different things? Uh, because that's a, that's a lot of assets. Yeah. And so there's a couple of ways you can go. Um, maybe you could have FEMA buy some things and then be able to sell them to a hospital at a non-gouged price. Maybe they just stockpile them. That's part of our budget every year or, you know, within reason. Also having it, some deal with American manufacturers that, I mean, we're doing it now, but it, it took some time to change over. Um, you know, the different large companies are switching over to, to make these supplies. Maybe they have to reserve some capacity to be able to go at a drop of a bucket. I don't know. I mean, we're going to have to, we certainly need to figure this out because, um, you know, it's like anything. I mean, even in your home, if you didn't have enough toilet paper, well, now you don't have any. So <laughs> maybe you don't keep, you know, a stockpile, but you just always have a little bit enough in reserve. Well, and, and look backwards at this, right? We're talking about 30 days. In 30 days, we've essentially invoked war powers and other things to tell car manufacturers to build ventilators and to tell other countries to build masks. We have, we've done a fair amount in a short period of time. I, I, I think it's been a, a pretty tremendous response. So I wish some things were faster. I actually wish testing was faster. I still think the key to this thing is testing, testing, testing. Yep. And, and that's where we really fell down on what we could have done. But in terms of asking private industry to turn to a public good, I think a lot of people stepped up there of their own volition. And I think the government was pretty quick to say, hey, the rest of you, get on board. Yeah, well, it's good to see people do, uh, stepping up that way, Ronnie, and uh, we can continue this one uh, uh, for another time. So let's move on because I want to get to good news, Rodney. We're talking about all the bad stuff in the world, but the, some of the stories that you found and put on uh, informedamerica.com that everyone can check out, some that just kind of give us a little bit of hope. There was a, uh, there was a doctor who was uh, traveling to, I believe, Minnesota, and she was pulled over for speeding. And uh, she got something really nice instead of a ticket. She got a set of N95 masks that we were just talking about. This is just great. And, and, and I like the quote here from the doctor. It says, it's a complete stranger who wrote me nothing and is more on the front lines than I am and shared his precious masks with me without even asking. The veil of civilization may be thin, but not all that lies behind it is savage. We're going to be okay. So it gave her a bit of hope for humanity there. Yeah, and I actually looked that quote up because it was – it was um, such a nice turn of phrase. I thought clearly she's quoting somebody that I don't know, mm -hmm. and I didn't find it. And so I, clearly it could be right, I, and, but all I found was attributed to her. Um, but I, I like the fact that actually the officer berated her when he first pulled her over and, <laughs> and found the healthcare provider because he said, "Look, if you end up in an accident, you're going to take up a bed and not be providing care. So what are you doing out here, going 85 and 70?" Yeah, I've heard that line before. That, that seems to be the common one. You're not going to get to where you're going. Yeah, and so I, um, I, I kind of like that he turned it into a warning and then some masks because he saw some used masks in the back of her car. And as he said to her spokesman, I thought she could use them. So, yeah, pretty good news. 
Yep, great story. And also from uh, from informedamerican.com that you found, Rodney, another police officer uh, did a good deed. Uh, this woman who was at the grocery store and uh, she was uh, a police officer found her sitting at the curb crying. She had she had gathered a bunch of stuff into her car and she realized she had left her uh, her EBT card at home. And the officer was gracious enough to actually purchase the items for her. I mean, wow. I mean, talk about people stepping up. I mean, in normal days, I don't know that we would see this, but in times of crisis, we're seeing uh, you know public servants step up. Not that the police are obligated to buy everyone's, everyone's groceries and supplies, but with people in need, um, it's just great to see people uh, doing, doing what they can for each other. And as the woman reported, uh, she actually told him no, because he offered to buy her a few things to tie her over. And she said no. And he insisted. And she said, well, okay. And when they went inside, he saw her abandoned car and asked if that was hers. And he noticed there were things in it for children. And she then told him she was a single mother with three kids when he asked. And so that's when he essentially pulled the basket up to the register and bought it all. It, 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 was, it was more than first met the eye of generosity. Great stuff. Thank you for uh, finding that good news for all of us, Rodney. All right, let's time to move on to stupid things I saw on the internet and news, a part of our rapid fire segment. These ones also come from you, Rodney. Two of these stories, were, uh, two of the first ones, and then I've got some uh, making fun of mainstream media stuff coming up right after that. Uh, this is comes from... Oh, wow, uh, this guy, uh, Eduardo Moreno, 44 of San Pedro, he tried to run the train into the, the naval hospital ship that was docked in L.A. And this guy, I mean, <laughs> he, says, he says that the ship was suspicious and uh, the ship was not there, what, wasn't doing what they say it's for. You only get this chance once. The whole world is watching. I had to. People don't know what's going on here. Now they will. But what does that mean, Ronnie? <laughs> I have no idea. Into a, into a hospital ship. I, it's crazy. He made it, you know, a pretty good distance off the tracks to a concrete barrier, a steel barrier, a parking lot, a gravel lot, blah, blah, blah. I didn't get to the USNS Mercy, thank goodness. Didn't even get to the water. I was surprised at the end. There's actually a law against wrecking a train. If you, if you cause a train wreck, you can be put in jail for 20 years. And I thought, wow, I didn't really know that. I'll see. Yeah, for, but what we know is this gentleman should not be a train operator. <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, not to make light, but just the imagery here is officials say a video from inside the cab's uh, train's cab shows Moreno holding a lighted flare during the incident. Yeah, a lighted flare. I don't know. It, it, I, I, yeah, I can't even speak to that. What are you doing, right? I've got a flare. I'm going through the boat. Here I am. Um, All right, let's move on, Rodney. In France, citizens are dressing up as police officers to take on uh, an official era while berating their neighbors, uh, neighbors people uh, to go after people who aren't uh, obeying the lockdown and just harassing everyone they could see. Uh, also here, um, uh, the, uh, vandalizing cars by residents in rural coastal towns who think that urban elites are bringing the illness to their villages. I actually happen to agree with that one. Rodney, what do you think about, uh, do you have a policeman's uh, uniform that you're going to go around and bother your neighbors with? <laughs> See, that's what I thought. People are impersonating the police in France so that they can berate their neighbors. Where do they get the uniforms? I mean, do they sell them at the local shop? And by the way, you can't go shopping right now. Do you order one on Amazon, right? I need a police officer's uniform about this size because I'm going to go out and beat on my neighbors. And who doesn't recognize their neighbors, right? You have to go to an area that you don't live in or normally shop in because everybody's going to go, look, I know who you are. You're that idiot that lives six blocks down. <laughs> so, I don't know. 
<laughs> Hilarious. Uh, so while we had the USNS Mercy in LA as a man tried to ram it with a train, we had the USNS uh, Comfort that steamed into New York Harbor. And the, to me, this is ridiculous. I got a, I got a picture here from Twitter. Uh, there's hundreds of people gathering around to watch the, the ship come in. <laughs> Guys, you don't get it. The ship's coming here because you people are getting each other sick and you're not staying away from each other. <laughs> now you're gathering to watch the ship come in. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like people who go stand outside of a glass building that's on fire. It's like you understand <laughs> that if it's the glass explodes your direction, right? And uh, for the people that uh, you know answer a fire drill by standing right outside the building, it's like you really shouldn't move. <laughs> So, Hilarious. Hey, Ronnie, let's go on. I've got some stuff here from the mainstream media. Here's a quote from the Washington Post. He wrote the movie Contagion. Here's what he had to say about the government response to the coronavirus. Uh, do, we, uh, do we need screenwriters giving their opinion? Uh, also, CNN recently had on Sean Penn and uh, author Stephen King. Um, so I know that when I'm looking for, you know, to find out what the government's doing right or wrong, I go to Hollywood and horror authors. Yeah. Oh, is that you? Ronnie, do, do, do people on the left think movies are real? <laughs> I have no idea, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a common thing, right? You know, people often ask on-screen personalities about different things. And, and just like everybody else, right, they can study, they can be learned, they can be very well-versed and whatever. I don't find that commonly to be the case. Uh, but uh, what the heck, if it gets you a few more readers, as you know, the Washington Post or somebody online to have one of these personalities, then that's what's going to happen. <laughs> Beautiful. All right. I got a headline. I love old headlines and old tweets. I've got a million of these, but I'll run out of time. So I was going to get to a couple. This one comes from late January Huffington Post. Don't listen to Senator Tom Cotton about the coronavirus. The GOP center has spread misinformation and panic and a weeks long meltdown over the disease. And then later, February 17th, Tom uh, Tom Cotton is repeating a debunked conspiracy uh, theory about coronavirus and Chinese bioresearch. Today, the headline, Rodney, from Washington Post, scientists don't rule out an accident at the resource laboratory in Wuhan might have spread <laughs> a deadly bat virus that have been collected for a scientific study. I mean, you missed the tweet where they apologized to, um, you know, Congressman Cotton. Oh, they did? No, I'm kidding. They never did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not, not happening. I guess you just assume that it is just assume things are wrong or, or whatever story you read. The, the, the beginning of a mainstream media story, assume it's wrong and will be corrected two months later. Is that the rule? Uh, you know, a lot of stuff comes out that, you know, is logical and makes sense. And a lot of things you just shake your head because you're thinking, how could you write that in good conscience? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, got a, I got an old tweet from uh, Senator Chuck Schumer. The premature travel ban to and from China by the current administration is just an excuse to further his ongoing war against immigrants. There must be a check and balance on these restrictions. How, does, how did that one age? <laughs> Not very well. Not very well. Oh, crazy. Here's another one from uh, Politico on February 4th. Coronavirus quarantine. Oh, yeah. So on the same coronavirus quarantine and travel ban could backfire, experts fear. Oh, experts are the best. And then I got another one here from uh, this one's, I think, oh, it's from Salon. Maria Bartiromo, the Fox News host, predicted Thursday during, this is from March 7th, not very far. 
uh, predicted Thursday during an appearance on Fox News that hundreds of thousands of people will be infected with the coronavirus in the U.S. as disinformation continue to spread on the right-leaning network about the outbreak. Wow, I mean, what, what was Maria Bartiromo thinking spreading that kind of disinformation, Rodney? I don't know. And actually, she's a really intelligent person, so I would have hesitated to call her out even if I thought she was wrong. I'd be doing some research on that one. So. Oh, absolutely. Rodney, this, this is a wellspring. Um, these old tweets and articles, unbelievable. All just quickly changing their tune. It's, uh, it's great. All right. I think that's all we have for this week. Rodney, I thank you for joining me so much. I want all of you watching to continue to become informed Americans to subs- by subscribing to this channel, creating a conversation. Go ahead and comment down below about everything you've thought and all the things, topics we've discussed. I'd love to hear, hear all of your opinions. Tell us what you think. If you've enjoyed the show, also click the like button. Uh, and if you are listening to the show on a podcast platform, we'd love if you give us a review and a rating, particularly on iTunes. That would help us very much. And uh, we also want you to go ahead and visit informedamerican.com where you can get real smart news. Rodney, what will people find on informedamerican.com? As you are the editor, tell everybody a little bit about what they can get if they haven't actually, if they found us just on the YouTube channel or on podcast and haven't been to the site yet. Well, the idea is to look through the news and find stories that perhaps aren't being reported, right? It's, it's looking through the main headlines, and you've listed off some there, of people who are kind of taking a slant on things and asking yourself, well, what's the real news, right? What's, what's the, what are the facts? What's, what's the underlying piece of this? And uh, silly things like uh, the Chinese students who are paying $20,000 for a ticket on a private plane back to China – because they want to get out of the U.S. Well, are they worried about the virus, or are they just thinking, I'm really rich, and I don't want to be quarantined. I can do my studies online in China as well as I can do it here. And so it's kind of taking that common-sense view of the news, looking for stories that perhaps didn't make the main headlines, and just essentially being better informed. Yeah, absolute golden content on informedamerica.com. Also check out our Facebook page. That is all we have for next week. We will see you next week. For Rodney, I am Dave telling you to get informed, America. You've been listening to Get Informed, America, brought to you by the Informed American Radio Network. Please like and subscribe today in order to get new exclusive weekly episodes. Any questions, thoughts, or comments can be sent directly to info at informedamerican.com. And don't forget to visit informedamerican.com to keep up with real, smart news. Until next time, fight fake news and find common ground.